0: This paid podcast is produced by Slate Studios in partnership with Target.
1: See a kid alone in the lunchroom at a new school year, I would try to get to know them first, ask them what they like. I would just sit next to him because I love making new friends. What's your name? When's your birthday? Be a nice person with all your heart. Do you have any brothers or sisters,
0: siblings? I invite them to my house, of course, be like, hey, do you need
1: help with math,
0: science? What's a way that you encourage your children to be compassionate?
1: Their mom is better at that than me. But I try to teach them little things, like trying to understand just their friends a little bit more. Sometimes they might take it personally because their friend is, uh, has a mood, and I try to teach them that we don't know that person's story, how their day went, so so that we should be a little bit more understanding.
0: The bigger one, I mean, he, when he was littler, he would cry when he saw people cutting down trees. So he, he's very environmental conscious. And the little one, he's very sensitive when it comes to feelings and stuff. So, so they're, they're right there. <laughs> From Slate Studios and Target, this is Coffee and Crayons, a podcast for parents, all about navigating the highs and lows of back to school time. I'm Mallory Kasdan podcaster, voiceover actor, and children's book author. I'm also a mom. This series is a toolbox of sorts, helping parents and kids thrive during back-to-school time and other tricky transitions. It's so easy to get bogged down in logistics and school supply lists. We often forget the huge social and emotional aspects kids face when they return to school. And it's during these times that I really want some help from Mr. Rogers.
1: Love is at the root of everything all learning, all parenting, all relationships, love or the lack of it. And what we see and hear on the screen is part of who we become.
0: And that's why I'm so excited about today's guest, Morgan Neville. He's the director of Won't You Be My Neighbor?, the hit documentary of 2018 is all about Mr. Rogers, his ideas, and how they transformed the culture. Morgan is also the Oscar-winning director of 20 Feet from Stardom and dozens of other documentaries, including the new Netflix series Ugly Delicious. Welcome, Morgan.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So thank you for making "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" Um, I loved it so much, and I thank loved. You. You're welcome. I, I loved how you let. The audience enjoy nostalgia, um, but you also take it to so many moving and unexpected places. I'm assuming you did grow up
1: watching Mr. Rogers. I did. I mean, I was born in 1967 and the show went on in 1968. So I was like Gen 1 Mr. Rogers fan and I loved it. And when I thought about making the film, it's odd because I have a very complicated relationship with nostalgia. It's like the fast food of emotions, <laughs> you know, like it doesn't <laughs> ask you to do much. And I didn't want the film to just be a nostalgia trip because it'd be really easy for that to happen. But my impulse to make the film was me rediscovering Fred Rogers as an adult and as a parent and feeling like, where's this voice today? How do How do I get Mr. Rogers into the world today? And it seems like we're having some success with it. So that's amazing.
0: So you knew a fair bit about Mr. Rogers, but um, when you were making the film, what surprised you specifically about about Mr. Rogers?
1: The thing is, those of us who grew up watching the show, most of our relationship with the show predates our memories. You know, it's our earliest, you know, if the show was designed for two to six-year-olds, that when I thought back about the show, a lot of what I was thinking about were more like images and emotions and like this warm feeling and in some ways, culturally, he's kind of like the quintessential two-dimensional character. Mm. He's almost kind of a punchline in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And what I came to realize through all these hints over a number of years was that here was somebody who was really complicated and deep and profound. And um, even though his thing was being simple and deep, people have mistaken simple for superficial, but he was a very profound guy. And I think one of the things that I gravitated towards early on was that here's somebody who had, who seems kind of wimpy on the outside, but who was, had an iron will, who mm. had a TV show on for decades. And that doesn't happen by accident. But even in the way he lived his life, his daily ritual, which we only touch on a little bit in the film, was so. It spoke so much to his his willpower. You know, he would get up around 5 a.m. and he would spend the first hour of the day praying for family or people who would ask for his prayers and reading the Bible. And he learned Hebrew and Greek. He would study other religions. And then he would go swim a mile every day uh, at the Pittsburgh Athletic Club to maintain his weight of 143 pounds, which he did his adult life. And then he would begin his day and go out and a part of every day was doing correspondence. At one point he got more mail than anybody in America. And he responded to every letter he got, which is incredible. If you just think about the math of that, but it's something that occupied a huge amount of his time. And part of that was he believed if a kid wrote to him, it's because the child believed they had a real relationship and that he had to honor that by writing back but I really think he felt that those letters came to be not a chore, but actually as important or maybe even more important than the television show itself. Because it was a chance for him to minister one-on-one to kids that had questions.
0: That is so dear that he wrote back to every child. I think that's just so dear. So you've been making films for a couple of decades now. How did being a father find its way into the making of Won't You Be My Neighbor?
1: It's interesting because having kids, and my kids are now 11 and 13, so they came along after Mr. Rogers was on the air and before Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood is on the air. So those of you with young kids may know this, but the most popular kid show on PBS these days is this animated cartoon show called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, kind of based on the Mr. Rogers show. But I think I thought a lot about kind of what it meant to be Parent and what it meant to be a child by by having kids. My wife, I have to point out, is also a children's librarian, so so we spend a lot of time talking about these things and thinking about these things. Um, and you know, as you do trying to be a responsible parent, you know, you're reading and learning, and people are sending you videos. And somebody had sent me a video of Fred Rogers several years ago, and. I watched it late one night, and it just struck me that this was somebody I was missing in our culture. And in the morning, uh, when my wife woke up, I said, "So, what do you think about Mister Rogers' film?" And uh, and being a child's librarian, she was predisposed, but she said, "I love that idea," because I was really kind of concerned about it um, in the beginning, because you know people. you know, what I mentioned, I was doing a Mr. Rogers film. I was afraid people would kind of smirk. But what I got again and again was this unbridled enthusiasm, you know, please, please do that. And then um, the other most common comment I got was, uh, you know, don't screw this up. (laughs) (laughs) And really what it came down to is that when I think about what Mr. Rogers' mission was, It was, you know, unlike other shows like Sesame Street or Electric Company or Schoolhouse Rock or whatever, who were trying to teach um, counting and alphabet and grammar and things to kids, essentially what Mr. Rogers was trying to do was teach kids how how to be a person, you know? How to behave, how to treat other people, how to live with other people in a community, in a neighborhood, how to treat yourself, to know what kind of sense of worth you have, what kind of right to dignity you have. And these are the most fundamental human questions that you know, I don't think they they age. You know, I right. think those are lessons we all need to hear again and again. And I think it's part of why adults have connected to this show so much too, that it's it's really a message that that we all we all need to be reminded of.
0: Yeah. Mr. Rogers' social and emotional lens and his core message of love, compassion, and kindness have had a long time to seep into the culture. So how have his messages, those messages, found their way into the way that you raise your kids?
1: Well, I I think the thing that I'm still trying to learn from Mr. Rogers is one thing he did that was a major breakthrough was to level with kids and to kind of make this decision that – If bad things are happening, kids are gonna know they're happening. And the responsible thing to do is to not say, don't worry about it, kids, or to shield them from them, but to actually explain them in age-appropriate ways. And even I, as an adult, have that instinct of, no, don't pay attention to that, or don't worry about that, kids. And that's not the Mr. Rogers thing to do. It takes a lot of courage to want to actually have those difficult conversations with your child. And I think it's something that I've worked on and that working on this movie has helped me think a lot about in terms of trying to talk to kids as people, not as unformed beings, but that, that kids have real emotions and real intelligence and, and real wisdom. And it's a lot of what Fred Rogers was doing, was talking about the wisdom of the the child, which is has a lot to do with the, the kind of honesty and openness and vulnerability that children display that we tend to protect as we grow older, and that's not necessarily a good thing
0: yeah, that was a very powerful message in your film. I felt like him explaining things at age appropriately facing them, dealing with them, that was so powerful um. So back to your own specificity of your kids, tell me some fun fact or character trait that you love telling people about each of your kids.
1: My kids are both very creative. You know, my daughter is a uh, natural-born ham. Um, Mm -hmm. She loves an audience. Uh, I remember when I made the film 20 Feet from Stardom, We had this special event in Los Angeles, and all the women in the film came to my house. And here are some of the greatest singers of all time. And they were all in my living room. And my daughter put on a concert singing for all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember thinking, she has no idea who she's singing for. (laughs) So she was doing Adele songs for them.
0: (laughs) Awesome. I love that.
1: And. My son is a storyteller and, you know, we were just driving back from a road trip yesterday and my son told a story that went on for maybe two hours. And at the end of it, my wife said, so what's he gonna be when he grows up? You know, what do you do with that skill? And there are many things you could do with the skill, but I feel like whatever he does, it's gonna be tied in to his kind of love of narrative
0: so your daughter is 11 and your son is 13 or the other way around?
1: Other way around. Yeah, my okay. daughter's 13 now. My son's 11.
0: And what are what are they into? What kind of stuff are they into?
1: Yeah, I mean my daughter's 13, so she's um, you know, becoming a teenager and getting into teenage things and you know, she just got her first cell phone which we did with some trepidation and we keep close tabs on so kind of just dipping her toe in the world of kind of social media and kind of being an independent person and, and all of that. Um, she sings in a band. Uh, it's cool. And, uh, you know, I think that's great. That's something we share because I played in bands and my wife played in bands and my wife and I used to play in a band together. And, you know, my son plays piano and I think music is a big part of all of our lives. And uh, my son goes to a Waldorf school, I feel like our Waldorf school is a little bit of a reformed Waldorf where, you know, they know kids are going to have some access to media, of course, but just be very sensible about it. And I think the thing that I've taken away from that that's been the most valuable is that kids have incredible natural imaginations and that if you feed them too much media their own innate imagination tends to shut down a little bit. So I think, you know, we try and just make sure the kids spend enough time thinking creatively and being creative and, and even being bored. I feel like kids being bored is a really good thing. So
0: it is, the kids
1: don't agree with me necessarily, but, but I think some, some boredom is a good thing because it just gives them a chance to, to have a moment of contemplation. Uh, and we live in a culture that doesn't give us a lot of contemplative time.
0: So speaking of which, how do you manage the screen time situation with the kids? What's your, like, do you have a plan or is it just kind of trying to get them to engage in creative well, play or, or playing music? Or how, what's your, what do you do?
1: What do you guys do? I think for many years, the idea was kids can only watch 90 minutes of, Screen time. It could be on a computer or a video game or television on Saturdays only. And that would give them Sunday to kind of detox and then no screens during the week. I think it's a lot looser now, but it's not, um, you know, just wanton screen time <laughs> as much as they want. So we still try and limit it, you know, and there are these um, parental controls for your kids. Cell phone just so you can have it turn off at a certain time or you can track what apps they have or um, and you can turn off different apps at different times of day. And so if a child knows they only have a certain amount of time, they can use their phone in a day. It makes them use it more wisely and not just have their face buried in it. And it's hard because they see us as adults with our faces buried in screens all the time. And so there's always a level of hypocrisy about the whole thing. Sure. So we try and gauge it that way.
0: When you were making the film, did you feel conscious of that? aspect of life like when I was watching it I kept thinking about how peaceful and beautiful watching Mr. Rogers was for me as a little kid and I have an eight-year-old and I was thinking oh my god he's playing terrible video games he never watches things that are gentle he you know it was like more of that I had nostalgia for that did you think about that while you were making it?
1: Sure I mean childhood has changed but children haven't changed they come out fresh every time so if you take very young children and put them in front of something as slow as Mr. Rogers, they love it. it, it still works. I mean, what I've also thought a lot about is a lot of what Mr. Rogers was doing are things that we now talk about in our lives, not particularly in terms of television, but if you talk about mindfulness and emotional intelligence and slow culture, these things that are movements now, you know, you can get an app for mindfulness, probably 10 apps for mindfulness on your phone. Hmm. These are things Mr. Rogers was essentially doing, you know, the chance to kind of take a break and think about what you're doing or to just have a moment of contemplation or a moment to yourself or or a chance to really think about what you're doing and, and how it might impact somebody else. I mean, I feel like in that way, he was so contemporary in terms of what he was doing. And I've never had more people say to me how contemporary this <laughs> this movie is as any film I've ever made. And that's just unusual considering he started out 60 years ago in television.
0: And when did you start making the film? What year was that? I'm just curious when you began this journey.
1: I mean, the real seed of this whole project began with Yo-Yo Ma, um, because I'd made a film with Yo-Yo. And one day at lunch, when I was just getting to know him out of the blue, I said, so how did you figure out how to be a famous person? And he said, oh, Mr. Rogers taught me. Hmm. And I kind of chuckled and he said, no, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I went on a show as a young man and he recognized that I was struggling with some of this. And he really mentored me over years to show me how I could use my notoriety as a positive force and not something that was gonna weigh me down in life. And that was really the first kernel of a moment that led to this whole thing coming to life. And that was probably eight years ago.
0: Wow, that's great. I'm so glad you shared that with me. I love that story. So with back to school time, what are some ways that parents might encourage this level of compassion and confidence in their kids during this transitional time?
1: I'm lucky because my kids love school, but it wasn't always thus. You know, I remember when they were very young, how much kind of fear and trepidation they had about about going to their new school at the time. And Kids don't always express their anxiety, they act it out. And I think it's important to let kids know it's okay to be afraid. The thing you need to do is to talk about it and process it. And I feel like one of the major lessons I took away from Mr. Rogers is that the world is governed by by love and by fear and fear left untreated can fester and become a lot of really toxic things in our life. It can become resentment and become anger and can even become hatred. So I felt like his mission, which I try and think about all the time, is to work on fear and try and see what we can do to help kids process it. Not to tell them, don't be afraid, because that doesn't solve anything, but to understand that they're afraid and let them be afraid and then talk about why they're afraid and then try and help them see why they may not one day be afraid.
0: Right, acknowledgement. So do you guys have any family traditions that you guys engage in in terms of getting everybody back in that vibe of back to school time?
1: I asked my wife about this last night, (laughs) I said, what are our family rituals about going back to school? And so much of it has to do with, um, in the summer our whole house gets very loose and people sleep in. I don't, I wake up early, but everybody else in the house sleeps in. And so I think the feeling of school coming is, it's one about how we regulate our lives and our sleep and kind of what's coming and a sense of kind of new responsibility for the year. You know, this year we, you know, would let our daughter go off and go to Starbucks after school with her friends one day a week. And then, you know, there are other little things you try and put into their upcoming school year that feel like a like a carrot. <laughs> like this is something to look forward to. It's a new sense of responsibility, um, but also a new reward. And I think there's something exciting about, being suddenly uh, a grade higher than you were before, and feeling a little, a little bigger and a little more mature, and I think we try and concentrate on those things.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I also have a twelve-year-old daughter that's going to Starbucks by herself now too. It's um, okay. Good. <laughs> fun. I get it. <laughs> I get that those little carrots they they make they make a lot of difference. Um, they do in their how they see themselves and how they have confidence. So are you? Are they talking about school, going back to school, or being excited or nervous about going back to school yet?
1: You know, my son's best friend is going to a different school this coming year, and that's going to be a big adjustment for him. And he's actually with him right now out of town on a camping trip. So I'm not sure how he's going to process kind of the new school landscape when he gets there, and it actually hits him that this is what the new school life is going to be. And... My daughter, um, a couple of members of her band graduated. So she feels a little bit like she's going to be starting from scratch, too. And, you know, I think they're both happy enough about going back to school. They're not dreading it. But I think right now they're just trying to wallow in the summertime as hmm. much as they can.
0: So, what kind of advice do you give them with knowing some of these changes are afoot? In terms of how to cope with, with with
1: newness? Well, I think my daughter, who's in a middle school that's only seventh and eighth grade, and she was friends with a lot of the eighth graders who graduated onto high school. And I think she looked up to them and really made friends with a lot of them. And I think what we've tried to encourage her to think about is that now she's gonna be an eighth grader. She can be somebody other kids can look up to. And it's not about that instinct of kind of learning from your elders, but being an elder and teaching younger people and and not looking down your nose at younger kids, but understanding that there's something to be gained from spending time with them just as your friends did with you. And I think we've already talked about that and I think that's gonna be an ongoing conversation we have this year.
0: Great. Um- if you have anything else you want to share or if you want to let me know what else you're working on, what's next for you, that that'd be
1: cool. Yeah, I mean this the Mr. Rogers kind of took over my year, <laughs> which was great. And, you know, we premiered the film at Sundance and something I made a big point of this year was trying very willfully to bring my family with me as much as I could. So, just trying to go to film festivals where I can bring my family. Because I've on other films, I've spent you know months kind of off on tour at film festivals and missed my family a lot, and so this year has been all about family film festival trips, <laughs> so that's been great. And you know, coming up next, it's a little different. I have a film about Orson Welles that's coming out at the end of the year about his last unfinished movie, and cool. uh, it, it's a little different, but it was a lot of fun.
0: Morgan Neville, thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been great.
0: Morgan Neville is an Academy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. Won't You Be My Neighbor is in theaters everywhere. What's your favorite teacher school supply? What do you love having in the classroom? The most, to me, most important school supply would have to be like sanitary wipes, like wipes, because you can never do enough like sanitizing and it just comes in handy it's just like a quick cleanup it saves on like them getting sick as often I know it played a huge factor because usually I mean I'm always catching a cold or something because it's like you could wash your hands but so much because literally everything you touch is gonna have germs so just making sure after the students are using something we're constantly wiping things down that helps tremendously (laughs) Coffee and Crayons is brought to you by Target and produced by Slate Studios Target has back-to-school covered Shop our best back-to-school prices at Target all season long. Go to Target.com slash back-to-school. I'm Mallory Kasden. Thanks so much for listening.